1: Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plainsey FM 96.9. My name is Blair and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is, and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting.
0: Hi, my name is Janet and I'm an alcoholic. The AA Preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety.
1: Thanks, Janet. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognize it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet... Because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings, which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety, one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recover, and has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, so for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So, let's meet our guest. Uh, would you like to introduce yourselves and then give us a quick sketch of who you are?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, My name's Janet and I am an alcoholic and um, I came into AA in 1982 originally, um, but my sobriety date is the 4th of April, 1983. So I didn't know that I was an alcoholic at the beginning of my drinking, but looking back on it now, I had the symptoms. But my drinking really didn't become um, a problem until I was probably... In my thirties, right. and I was born in England. Oh, go! Cool. And um, only child. Right. Um, probably spoiled a bit, but <laughs> my parents were pretty hard up, but we didn't have a lot because I was actually brought up during the, the Second World War. Right. And there wasn't a lot of things that you could buy in the toy shops or you couldn't, um, you know, buy all the things that we can buy now and we did obviously. It was a, quite a different life. I lived in the country. I wasn't really affected by the war, um, apart from the ration books and right. um, rationing after the war. Okay. And my parents were not alcoholics. Right. Um, so, you know, I didn't set out to become an alcoholic. When I, when I first started drinking um, I was a student at university in London and looking back on it now I can see that I reacted differently from other people at the the parties and um, my first experience of being really, really um, physically sick with alcohol, I was 19, went to this party, there was lots and lots of different um, types of alcohol on the table in the students' flat and I decided I was going to try something from every bottle mm-hmm. with disastrous results. Um, it wasn't enough to stop me thinking that I might do that again. It was fun until I started being sick, physically sick. But as I said, I, I was in my thirties really until it became a problem and I was drinking. I was relying on alcohol in order to get through the day. Right. And by then I had married, lived in Hong Kong for eight years had two children and moved to Christchurch with my first husband and he, because he got a job here in Christchurch.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So if you look up to that point, you said you had been drinking quite a lot. Had you ever tried to stop at those times or during those times?
0: It never occurred to me to, to stop. I right. mean, I didn't drink all the time. I didn't drink every day, but we had a lot of parties mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. Right. And alcohol was very freely available and very cheap. Yeah. And um, But I I was pregnant um actually three times but one baby died and um, mm. so you know I didn't drink while I was pregnant partly because I, I I didn't know in those days that you shouldn't right but I was physically sick mm-hmm. you know I had nausea a yeah. lot of the time so anyway um, I came. we came to New Zealand and I was very very um, unhappy
1: right thanks for that thanks for that, 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 Jenna this is a lovely thanks for your honesty there um, so I mean, When you first started out drinking, what was the sort of what was the triggers to get into that and how did that feel for you?
0: Um, Well, I always felt um, different. I felt um, more confident. Mm -hmm. And if I had a couple of drinks um, before we went out to a party, Mm -hmm. I was able to socialize more. It helped me to um, relax. Mm -hmm. And um, I can remember one incident. Actually, we were in London still. We hadn't gone to Hong Kong. And so I was about 22 at the time. And we went to what we thought was going to be a dinner party, and it was drinks. Mm -hmm. And we were served whiskey and water. And I like whiskey, and I knocked back several. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the evening, my husband told me, Wow, you're a drinker. You you can knock it back like a man. You can drink like a man. And that was, you know, a, a compliment. Yeah. So, looking back on it, that was a signal for me, but I mean, I didn't notice it at the time.
1: Yeah.
0: Um but certainly when I lived in Hong Kong, um we had a lot of parties. We did a lot of drinking, and it was it was all the people did it. Yeah. But for me, I would then behave a bit differently at parties. I would flirt. I would dance with other women's husbands. I thought I was the belle of the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't dance, but I could (laughs) when I'd had a few drinks. And we'd always wake up on a Sunday morning after these parties, which were always on a Saturday night, with hangovers.
1: Right.
0: And um, that was difficult because the armour had the day off on a Sunday, traditionally, so we still had to deal with the kids mm-hmm. on the Sunday morning. Right. And we used to go to the Chinese restaurants and have snake soup because that was supposed to cure a hangover. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and there was, So there was a lot of social drinking. Was it any drinking by yourself at all along those times? Or
0: I never drank by myself, but I do notice looking back on it again – I was hanging out for my husband to come home right. from work around 5 o'clock so that yep. I could have a gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. And right at the end of that time, I might well have had a gin and tonic before he came yep. home.
1: Gotcha.
0: Yeah. So I wasn't aware at, at that stage that it was a problem. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I came to New Zealand and couldn't afford to live that lifestyle right. and couldn't afford to buy the alcohol. That it, You know, that that, that, that I, I needed it. Right, yeah. I felt I needed it.
1: Okay. And yeah. was it just the money that made you feel like you had a problem there or was there something else that was a bit deeper that you realised you couldn't control?
0: Oh, well, I mean I knew that it wasn't normal for people to drink um, on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was – I was at the beginning, the first few years I was living, um, I, was, I had a, a disabled daughter and a son who was at – um, primary school, right? and we couldn't afford the alcohol, but also I knew that it wasn't normal for a woman to put a child in a pushchair and walk miles so that I didn't have to go to the same bottle store to right, buy a yeah. bottle of wine mm-hmm. to get through the next 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, it, it gradually progressed. It wasn't always like that. It just gradually progressed, mm-hmm. and we would still entertain quite a bit Um you know, and have people around, and get the booze in, yeah, th- in order to ply our guests with alcohol, and that was a problem because we didn't want to drink it before they came. But you know, and I, and I got to the point where you know my husband was hiding the booze and I was finding it and drinking it and topping it up with water, and of course he knew, and yeah, you know, it it gradually got worse and worse like that, and and in the end I knew that I was an alcoholic,
1: right. So you so you came to that conclusion when things just weren't going well. well
0: yeah. And I, I got to – I mean, I would wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to drink. Yeah. Um, and as I said, this was over a period of years. But I would wake up and say, not going to drink today. And by 10 o'clock, I'm, I'm desperate. Right. And then there was the search for, have I got enough money? Have I juggled the housekeeping in order to get enough
1: alcohol? Gotcha.
0: And then I got my daughter went to um, a different school where she was looked after and all the people that she needed to help her with her disabilities were on site. So I had more free time, so I got a a job, part-time first and then full-time. And that meant that I couldn't drink during the day. Right. But gradually over time I made up for it in the evenings. Right, right,
1: right. And
0: as a consequence of getting a full-time job, I didn't realise it at the time. I had the money Mm -hmm. so that I could leave home and I could buy a bottle of spirits every night on the way home from work. Right. But that was at the end of my drinking. Right, right. The last couple of years of my drinking.
1: Okay. And so then what changed between that period and then, I mean, how did you come to your first AA meeting?
0: Right. Well, I knew, as I said, that I was an alcoholic. Yeah. I had the knowledge, but and I also knew of AA, but I was never going to come. Because I thought it was, um, you know, held in dirty halls with dirty old men with <laughs> bottles in their hip pockets. And, and I actually lived in a flat near Latimer Square and it overlooked where the Kabul Cathedral is now, St. Right, John's yeah. Church. And there were alcoholics sitting on the steps there. Mm-hmm. And I could see them from my flat. Right. And I thought A.A.'s for them, but it's not for me. At <laughs> the end of my drinking, I had to get a friend to ring AA for me right? Okay. I, well she rang AA I didn't want her to but she rang AA and these two women came around and um, told me about the program and I didn't really listen to them but what I did listen to and by this time I was so d- desperate because I knew that I was going to lose my job my mm. boss had warned me but I didn't want to lose my job because I, that was the income that I needed to buy the books. yeah gotcha yeah. All right. So anyway, they came around and told me about Sunnyside Hospital, which is now Hillmorton, mm-hmm. and the Kennedy Clinic, and I could go there and detox or dry out, as okay. they said. And that's how I came. Um, I went there. In those days, you could just rock up without a doctor's yeah. recommendation, a referral. And from there, I went into a rehab. Okay for three months, right. and I was so fortunate. I am so, so grateful.
1: Yeah, okay, gotcha. And so you mentioned obviously seeing the people and having an idea of what alcoholism looked like. How did the people in the meeting present to you that may have been different than what you thought? Oh, well the AA members? Yeah,
0: the first meeting I went to was on the first morning at the rehab, and it was at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was in the rehab, which was called Maho. And... Um, <clears throat> I couldn't believe it. They were laughing. Mm. They not, looked nicely dressed. The two women that came and 12-stepped to me, yeah. told me about AA, were also very beautifully dressed and, you know, very elegant. And um, But all the people in the meeting seemed to be happy. Right. And I had not laughed for six months at least, mm. if not longer. Right. And what happened was I identified with one of the speakers and... He, he'd been hiding his um, booze in the garden from his wife. And I, when I'd been still married and living with my family, i have been doing the same thing right. and not being able to find it in the dark. And I laughed for the first time. Right. And, I, you know, it, I, I enjoyed the meetings. Yeah.
1: But oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so with that in mind of, of coming along to the meetings and cruising to tomorrow or going to Maho. Um, How have you managed to stay sober since then? You know, describe the process of recovery since that day.
0: Okay. Well, the first thing was that I saw the word God on the wall. Right. And I thought, I'm an atheist or an agnostic, at at least. And I'm not going to have anything to do with you people because. You know, I'm, But I had to go to the meetings because yeah. I was in the rehab, mm. and I'm very grateful for that because the more I went to the meetings, the more I enjoyed them. And the, the people at the meetings, the members at the meetings were so encouraging and helpful, and they came and picked us up and took us to meetings in the evening. So I had a really good introduction. Right. And... I know now that AA is not a religious program, mm-hmm. but that word God did on the wall did put me off. Right. Um, I know now it's a spiritual program mm-hmm. and that it doesn't matter. Um, you, can, you can believe that God stands for a um, group of drunks, right. good yeah. orderly discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, I pray in the mornings every morning, but I still don't really understand how it works. Yeah. And I certainly um, have never found anything like this, Spiritual um, program anywhere else. I mean, I did try going to church at one stage, but um, for me, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to AA and continuing to go to AA and doing what the um, the members recommended, yeah, does work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And what um, were some of those things they recommended to get you through the tough times? You know, to
0: get me through the tough times. Well. Um, I, what happened for me was probably not what you, you want to hear, but right. <laughs> I, um, I I enjoyed the meetings. I was divorced by this time, mm. and I was in my early 40s, and I um, they said to me, don't get into a relationship for two years. So after two years, I um, hooked up with this other fellow member, and we moved in together, and we both stopped going to meetings. Right. And... Um, I didn't drink again, but um, I did. Um, my my personality went back to what it was like. Right. You see, alcohol is not the problem for me. Mm. It's my personality, mm. my character defects that are the problem. And if I don't treat them with this program, yeah, with the things that they they um, recommend that you do, and the twelve step program, then I revert back to. What I was like before, yeah, and I believe that if I hadn't come back after eight years to AA, um, and it was through a series of co- coincidences that I got back, um, that I would have picked up again. I would right. have drunk again, yeah. And so I believe AA so it saved my life twice. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that. So, um, one so several of the things that they told me the second time around when I got a sponsor was to work the steps. Yeah. Um, deal with resentments. Yeah, writing down the resentments I had against all the people mm-hmm. um, that I had, mostly my family, and sharing that with another person. Right. And looking at my personality, my character um, imperfections, defects, shortcomings, yep. whatever you like to call them, because we've all got shortcomings. Yeah. And I know that you know jealousy can be one of them. Mm-hmm. Intolerance. Impatience. Mm -hmm. These things can um, drive you to to drink or to, you know, in unsociable behavior anyway. Yeah, gotcha. If you're an alcoholic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and so, bearing in mind that you've done these steps that were suggested and you've kind of got this awareness now, how has that changed your life? What does your life look like now?
0: My life looks amazing because, um, as I said, I've, I've done these steps. What I do is I try to do. Service. Mm -hmm. Um, I try and introduce other new members to the program, and sometimes with success, sometimes not. (laughs) But it keeps me occupied. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously now I'm not working, so I have more spare time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to be of service, not necessarily to other alcoholics, but to other people. And um, and you know, I have I've lived in Australia for. 12 years, and been part of the fellowship over there, and it's been an amazing experience for me over there too. Mm -hmm. So I have friends in AA in Australia, nice, and I've got the fellowship, so AA for me is two parts, it's the program, which gets you sober and helps you to stay sober, but the fellowship provides you with that knowledge that you're not the only person, you don't have to do this on your own. And this is what I get from going to the meetings and socializing with AA members after the meetings. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I can't recommend it too highly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if somebody out there is listening and thinking, should I go, should I, shall I stay away? Um, you know, it's. It's an amazing program, and I've met people that I would never have met in my life. And I have a very, very full life, and it's because of AA. Yeah,
1: cool. Uh, Thank you so much for that. Uh, And, I mean, what questions would you – if someone was thinking they had a problem with alcohol, what was something you'd ask them to sort of really confirm that for them?
0: Um, Well, do you – when you decide you're going out to have a drink, do you decide how many drinks you're going to have? And you, are you able to stick to that? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, Even if you're not drinking, do you think about how can I – when am I going to have the next drink? Yeah. Have I um, got enough in the house for the weekend? If you live a long way from a bottle store or yeah. something like that? It, does it, is it consuming? Is it consuming? Yeah. Your life? yeah,
1: great question. And yeah.
0: that, that was what was happening to me. It was consuming my life and um, – And I knew that something had to be done. Right. But, yeah, and I'm just glad that AA was there for me. Awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Well, uh, Janet, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us.
0: You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, And for our listeners – If you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800-AA-WORKS. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely that there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show is every Monday at 5.30pm on Plans FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our shows on the Plans FM website at plansfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to our podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember if you want to drink, that's your business but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close this show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting serenity prayers God, God, grant me me the the serenity serenity to to accept the things I cannot change, change. courage Courage to to change change the things I I can and and wisdom to know know the the difference difference. you've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM (laughs) 96.9